Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. This morning, we are in... We are at the end of John chapter 4, and this is a story all about faith and miracles. I think the big idea that John is trying to get across in this passage is that while miracles are absolutely real and important, and they strengthen our faith, our faith can't ultimately be in a miracle, but it has to be in a Messiah. I think what John is trying to actually really drive home is that our faith ultimately needs to be in our Savior um, more than anything else. Um, I think that miracles are something that absolutely still happen today. It's something we see all throughout the Bible. Um, I remember personally, I was in the Middle East a few years ago, and I got to meet uh, this young man named Amir, young Muslim guy, super friendly. Uh, Middle Eastern hospitality is incredible. And we got to talk a lot about our different beliefs, and he was sharing about some of his Islamic beliefs, and I could share about um, Christianity. And it was toward the end of my trip that we were talking and Amir started to share with me about how he kept having this dream over and over. And in this dream, the, the ceiling above him would break open and he would see Jesus above him saying, Amir, come to me, come to me, Amir. And I told Amir, listen, as far as I know, I do not have the gift of dream interpretation, but <laughs> I was like, I am absolutely sure what that dream means. Jesus was, was working miraculously to call Amir to himself. He was, he was intervening in Amir's life. I think dreams like that and miracles in general absolutely still happen today. But I think even more than just a dream or a miracle, what Amir needs and what we need is Jesus. It's one thing to have dreams about Jesus, to see miracles happen, or like John 4 talks about, to see a boy healed but it's another to actually know Jesus himself. Miracles are incredibly important, but they're not as important as the Messiah. And I think that's what John wants us to see this morning. Um, I don't think many of us here are asking Jesus for dreams or to heal a dying child or anything like that. But I do think a lot of us, myself included, we do wish that we saw miracles happen more often. There are times in our lives when we're wondering how come God isn't working a miracle right now. When we don't see miracles frequently, we can begin to doubt God's goodness and his presence with us. Maybe it's during our time with God that maybe God feels distant. In our relationship with God, things can feel dry. We don't have the, the vibrancy in our relationship with God that we want. Maybe for some of us here, we just feel like faith is shaky at best and completely irrational at worst. Wherever you're at, I think we can all relate to that. We, we want to see miracles in our lives, and we think that that's important. But what John is trying to do is redirect our attention to show us that ultimately our faith has to be in our Savior, not signs and wonders. And so I want us to read through the story in John 4 together. And I won't use points like I usually do, but I wanted us to just read this story together, experience it, and we'll make some comments along the way. So I want us to pick up uh, John chapter 4, verse 43. We pick up in this story about Jesus coming into Galilee. So starting in John 4, verse 43, it says, 
After the two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So Jesus, he's left Samaria. That's what Pastor Aaron preached on last week. Jesus was in Samaria and got an overwhelmingly positive reception. The Samarians love Jesus. They're like, this guy's the best. This guy's incredible. But now Jesus is leaving Samaria to go back to Galilee, his hometown where he grew up. But verse 44 tells us that there's a problem, that no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And uh, I think basically familiarity has bred contempt for the Galileans. They know all about Jesus. Jesus grew up there. They've known Jesus for a long time. And they're like, hey, this Jesus guy, we, we know all about him. He's just, you know, we're familiar with him. A prophet doesn't have honor in his hometown. But then verse 45 tells us something that initially seems like a major contradiction. When we get to verse 45, it says that the Galileans welcome Jesus. So verse 44 says, a prophet does not have any honor in his hometown. Then 45, the Galileans did welcome Jesus and honored him. So it seems like initially John's just contradicting himself. But I think there's actually a deeper point that John wants us to see. And I think it's, I think it's this, the Galileans were, you could say that they're inoculated with Jesus. You know, inoculation, you get just a little strain of a disease. You get just enough that you can't get any more. I think that's what the Galileans had with Jesus. They had kind of experienced Jesus. They had seen him around. They'd even, um, we see in this passage, they, they were even back, um, they had seen the water turn to wine. They had seen tables overturned in the temple, Jesus bringing justice. And so they knew about Jesus. And in that sense, they wanted him, but they didn't really know him. They were inoculated with Jesus. And so they couldn't actually get to know him any better. They just wanted signs and wonders, but they didn't actually want a savior. Um, I think that that is a really good way to describe how a lot of people in Boston today feel about Jesus, isn't it? In general, I think a lot of people in our society have a positive view of Jesus, even if they have a negative view of Christianity and the church. And maybe people will come to Jesus when something goes wrong in life. They'll try to work on their relationship with God when there's a crisis. They'll come and ask God for help. But a lot of people don't really trust Jesus. They haven't actually had their lives transformed by an encounter with him. I think a lot of people are like the Galileans. They know about Jesus. They're generally familiar with who he is, but they don't actually know him. They haven't actually placed their faith in him. I think there's a really big danger today in coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. If you come to Jesus just for something that he can give you, you'll never actually know him. But if you want to really know Jesus, you need to want him more than anything else. That's what John wants us to see. Faith in Jesus isn't ultimately in miracles. It's in a Messiah. It's not ultimately in signs and wonders. It's in a savior. I mean, just imagine if I told Alex, my wife, hey, I love everything you do for me, but not who you are. Can you imagine how offensive that would be? If, if, if you tell someone, I just, I love what you do, but who you are, I don't really care for. That is incredibly offensive. And yet so often, isn't that the exact same thing that we do with Jesus? 
Just like the Galileans, we say, hey, Jesus, it's great that you do these things in my life. It's great that you work miracles. It's great that you're close to me. But Jesus, I don't really care for you. I don't really want you for you. I just want the things you do for me. Genuine faith in Jesus doesn't just ask for benefits and miracles. It asks for Jesus. It wants Jesus more than anything. I think there's a similar danger here with just knowing about Jesus, but not actually knowing him. There's a really big difference between faith just being in our head between versus faith being in both head and heart. Um, just as an example here, I think rock climbing is fun. Um, it's fun to, you know, go rock climbing. It's enjoyable. I'm not great at it, but I think it's a fun activity. But there is a, a really big difference between taking an introductory course at a rock climbing gym going in and they teach you about safety. They show you, here's how you're supposed to climb. Here's the harness that you wear. And here's, here's intellectually everything you need to know about rock climbing. That is much different than being at the top of a rock wall and being able to actually lean back into your harness and trust that this rope is going to hold me up. I'm not actually going to fall right now and break my leg or get injured. There's a major difference between knowing about something and actually knowing something. There's, I think similarly with faith, there's a, a massive difference between actually knowing about Jesus versus knowing him. What John is trying to show us here is it's not enough to just know about him. It's not just enough to see the things that Jesus does. What we need is actually Jesus. What we need is to actually know him, to trust him, to rely on him. What we need is to have faith in him, to depend on Jesus with everything. Genuine faith in Jesus is unconditional. Faith, true faith in Jesus relies on him in everything. I think that's part of what John wants us to see is that we need that kind of faith in Jesus. The Galileans knew all about Jesus, but they didn't actually know him. They just wanted signs and wonders. They wanted a cool show. They wanted to see the next big miracle, but they didn't actually want Jesus. Um, John, he keeps going to show us how the Galileans, they, uh, he, he goes from Galileans in general to actually zeroing in to this official in particular. Look with me at verse 43. It says, So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So now the narrative shifts from Galileans in general to just this one man. So I know the, the passage says official, kind of the Greek word there. This is specifically a royal official. This is a man who is very familiar with power. He has authority and wealth and influence. But then what John tells us is that this official, despite all his influence and money, he has a problem that he can't solve. His son is dying and he doesn't have a cure. So in his desperation, this official goes to Jesus. This official, he's heard about this man who can do miracles. He can turn water into wine and he can overturn tables. So the official says, I'll go to this man and just see, can you help my son who's dying? And so the official, he finally finds Jesus and asks him to heal his son. And this is, I mean, this is an incredibly desperate situation. This official, his son is close to death. He's about to pass away which makes this response from Jesus pretty shocking. This is not at all what we expect Jesus to say. Verse 48, 
So Jesus said to him, the official, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. On the surface, that seems like an incredibly harsh response. Jesus just looked at this dad whose son is about to die. And this dad is begging, Jesus, please heal my son. And Jesus says, you just want miracles. You just want signs and wonders or else you won't believe in me. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus look at a dad who is desperate for his son to live and say, hey, what you really need is to just believe in me. I think one of the most important clues that we see, uh, it, it gets lost a little bit in the English, but um, in, in that verse, back in verse 48, the word you that Jesus uses is actually plural. What Jesus is saying, so in English, when we say you, it's kind of, it's not clear. Are you referring to, you know, you, just one person, or to you, to all of you? But in Greek, there are actually different words for this. And Jesus uses the plural form of you. So when Jesus responds to the official, he's not just saying you, you official, you just need signs and wonders or you won't believe in me. What Jesus is saying, you all, you Galileans, this, you, you whole region of people, unless you see signs and wonders, all of you won't believe in me. I think when we see that, we actually start to understand what Jesus is trying to drive home here. Jesus isn't just rebuking this official. He's rebuking all the Galileans for just wanting signs and wonders instead of trusting him. I think this clue helps us actually understand what Jesus is trying to get across here. The official wants his son to be safe from death. And Jesus does want that too. But Jesus wants something even more important. Jesus wants a whole region of people to be safe from eternal death. Jesus wants the Galileans to have life in him forever. Jesus knows that healing one boy, while a great thing to do, that there is something even more important here. He wants to see the Galileans believe in him and have eternal life. I love how one commentator, Herman Ritterboss, says this. He writes, even in the heartening situation in which the royal official came to him, Jesus was not content simply to heal the man's son. His seeming harshness was aimed at not letting the man and his entire household remain stuck halfway on the road to faith. Jesus did not only want to give the son back to his father, he wanted to give himself. Jesus knew that what the Galileans need, needed more than a cure or a miracle was a Christ. Jesus knew they, what, what you ultimately need more than anything else is to believe in me, know me, put your faith in me. This is the whole point of John's gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Every part of the gospel of John is shouting this message. Believe in Jesus. The greatest need that we have in life is to believe in Jesus and find eternal life in his name. Jesus wants the Galileans to believe in him and find life. But what the Galileans want is just a show. They want signs and wonders. They want the next miracle, but they don't want a savior. I think trusting in miracles instead of the Messiah is just as much a danger today as it was then. A lot of people will come to Jesus looking for a sign, looking for a miracle, but they don't actually want him. 
I remember meeting a guy in college who he grew up at this church where the emphasis was always on speaking in tongues and prophesying. Growing up, he was always told, if you genuinely have faith in Jesus, you're going to prophesy, you're going to speak in tongues. But he never could. And so at some point, he was being told over and over again, you just don't have faith, you don't have faith, you don't have faith. And so at some point, he just started faking it. He's like, I will just pretend to speak in tongues so that these people in my church stop judging me. And it was only later in his life that he learned that the emphasis of our faith, while miracles are good, it was only later that he learned that the emphasis of our faith should be the Savior more than anything else, more than signs. I don't think many of us are regularly asking Jesus, you know, please help me prophesy, um, help me, help me work a miracle. But I do think that there's a version of this that we really do struggle with. Let me, I want to be really clear here though. The Bible does teach that miraculous things happen. Even though in our modern culture, people kind of assume philosophical naturalism, they assume supernatural things don't exist. The Bible is completely set against that. Everywhere in the Bible, we see miracles. Jesus was born of a virgin. He healed the sick. He rose from the dead. We see all throughout the book of Acts, miracle after miracle after miracle. First Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul, he lays out instructions for how to prophesy and how to speak in tongues and how to do that in an orderly way. We, as a church, we affirm all of those things. Miracles happen in scripture and they still happen today. But there is still a danger in overemphasizing miracles and underemphasizing the Messiah. I don't think a lot of us approach Jesus and say, hey, you just have to give me a dream or you have to help me speak in tongues or you have to raise this person from the dead. But I do think there's a version of this that we struggle with. Oftentimes in our lives, when we don't experience God the way we want to, when we don't have that kind of feeling of God's presence, we doubt whether he truly exists. When our experience doesn't line up with what we want, we begin to doubt. We're asking God to do something miraculous in our lives or even just to, to feel his presence, to feel the vibrancy, the life, the joy of his presence. And sometimes we don't. And so then we begin to doubt. We wonder, does God really care about me? Is he actually at work in my life? Um, I do want to be really clear here. Our experience does matter. Our feelings are incredibly important. The Bible talks about over and over and over again, the kind of life and joy and beauty that we find in the presence of God. That is real and that's important. But I think we've made a, a, a pretty massive mistake when we put our feelings and our experience above the objective truth of scripture. There's an assumption that a lot of modern people have made and it's a, a dangerous one that our feelings ultimately determine what's true. They'll approach God and say, it's what you feel about God. What your emotions tell you about God, that tells you what is ultimately true about him. And so uh, feelings get put over scripture, but there's a danger there because if, if we ultimately look for our source of truth in our feelings, then truth becomes subjective. It becomes arbitrary. It becomes highly individualistic. Then truth just becomes something that can change in the moment. Guys, our feelings change so quickly. If truth is ultimately tied to our feelings, then when we feel one way, truth says one thing. But when we feel another way, truth changes. 
what scripture shows us is that in God's revelation of Jesus Christ in scripture, we find an objective truth that then informs our subjective feelings. I, I love the way that scripture talks about this. I think it's just so much better. In scripture, we're able to see what's objectively true about God, where God has revealed himself. He has shown us what's true about him. And then it's, it's there in that objective truth in scripture that then we're able to have our feelings, our subjective experience shaped. Our experience matters so much, but the way it gets shaped is through the objective truth of scripture. And so when we read scripture and when we pray, that's what informs how we feel. Listen, I would love if you're feeling right now that God is just distant, he doesn't care about you. I think the thing that we need most in those moments is to come and pray to God to experience his presence. We need to come and read scripture. It's when we read scripture that the spirit works in our hearts to help us see God. It's when we pray that we're able to experience his presence. Listen, even just this week, it's been hard for me to pray and read scripture. I've still been having my daily quiet times, but it's just felt dry. It's been a lot of moments of feeling like, why am I not experiencing God's presence the way I want to in this moment? But I found in just the times of coming back over and over again, even when I don't feel like it, even when it, it, God does feel distant, continuing to come back to scripture and continue to pray, force my mind to focus on God and talk with him. I felt the spirit working in my heart to just help me want it more, but also to help shape my experience so that I can actually feel God and know him and experience him. Listen, that's what I want for all of us. I want us to let the objective truth of scripture shape how we subjectively feel. I want you to base your beliefs about God on scripture. And when you're doubting, I want you to come and hear God's voice through God's word. I want you to come to God just like the official. The official was desperate. All he knew was, I just, I need to go to Jesus and ask for help. I want you to do the same thing. When your experience doesn't line up with what you know is true, I want you to come to Jesus and just beg, please help me. Please work in my heart. Shape how I feel. Help me to experience your joy in your presence. Let what you know is true about God shape how you feel, not the other way around. The official is desperate to get help from Jesus. John continues to, to tell us a story about what happens. In verse 49, the, uh, it, it tells us, the official said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. The word that the official uses here for child, the Greek word is actually incredibly tender. The official, he's basically saying, Jesus, my dear boy, my, my son who I love so much, he's dying. Jesus, please help. You can almost feel the anxiety and the grief that this father is feeling. He is desperate. He just, he needs someone to intervene. And Jesus loves to intervene. The heart of Jesus is compassionate and kind. Jesus loves to show up in the desperate situations and to, to show us his love, his compassion, his goodness. Look with me at verse 50. It says, and Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus promises this official that his son will live. And in that one sentence, this official's whole life has changed. It says the official believed. 
The official came to Jesus just because he had heard there's this guy, Jesus, who might be able to help. But now he hears from Jesus, your son will live. And the official believes it. He puts his faith in Jesus. This is the moment that the official goes from unbelief to belief. The official, I mean, see here, the official has not actually seen his son yet. He has not seen like face to face his son healed. But Jesus has promised your boy will live. And so the official says, I believe. And he goes on his way to go and find his son. And the official's son is miles away, but he believes that Jesus will do what he promised to do. I think a lot of modern, a lot of modern people find this kind of faith and belief incredibly difficult. We hear stories about miracles and about faith, and we feel incredibly skeptical. We feel like faith and miracles are shaky at best and irrational at worst. I remember talking with um, a, a young guy in our city who, really smart guy, working at a really prestigious lab and doing cutting edge research, brilliant guy. And he had a lot of questions about Christianity. So we were sitting down over coffee and we were chatting. And I remember that when we got to talking about miracles in the resurrection, that's when he stopped me. He said, hey, Kyle, listen, I'm a man of science. I don't really put my faith in things. Stuff like a resurrection and miracles, I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. I just believe in what science can prove. Those are the things that I build my beliefs on. I think a lot of people today think like that. A lot of people in our city, they hear about faith and miracles and it just seems irrational. It seems like a blind leap of faith. It seems like we're just closing our eyes to the realities of the world. But I think that that kind of skepticism doesn't actually stand up under scrutiny. And I think that for a few reasons. Let me just give you, I want to give you three reasons that faith and miracles aren't actually irrational. First reason, everyone builds their most valuable beliefs on faith. We all, believer or unbeliever, have our most valuable beliefs on faith, not on evidence. For example, the belief that everyone has inherent dignity and human rights. This is an incredibly good belief. That is something good. We should all believe that. It's a very common belief, especially in Western society, that we have inherent human rights. And yet, there is nothing you can do to empirically prove that we all have inherent dignity and worth, to prove that human rights exist. It's a belief. And frankly, it's a belief that has not been shared by many other societies throughout world history. And yet we all believe it. We all have faith to believe that human rights exist. And I'm, I'm very glad that we do. Let me give you another example. We all have faith that the world outside of us objectively exists and that our senses are truly showing the world to us. That is a belief. That is not something you can prove. Your senses could be lying to you. You could be in virtual reality. You could, your senses could be not presenting the world to you as it really is. And yet, to function, we all assume from when we're born that the world really exists and that our observations of the world, we are genuinely seeing the world around us. And yet, there's nothing you can do to prove it. If you say, well, my senses are showing me the world. Well, what if your senses are wrong? You know, it, the argument doesn't actually work out logically. And yet we all believe it. That's faith. Everyone builds their life on faith. 
believer or unbeliever. So faith is not irrational. It's not shaky. We all have faith in something. Let me give you a second reason that we shouldn't view faith in miracles as irrational. The majority of the world believes in the supernatural. If you look outside of North America and Europe, belief in the supernatural is still incredibly common. And there's so many people in the West today who believe in miracles. It's largely a white European idea that says that the supernatural doesn't exist. Miracles can't happen. You know, just stop believing that kind of stuff. I think it's actually incredibly patronizing. When people look at the majority of the world, majority of people of color, and say, oh, you know, those unenlightened people, they just don't have, they don't have true scientific beliefs like us. If only they could get past their, you know, their childish beliefs and stop believing in miracles. That is an incredibly arrogant idea to look at the majority of the world and to say that they're just irrational and childish. I think actually the majority of people alive today are religious. The majority of people throughout world history have been religious and believed in the supernatural. So we have good reason to believe that actually supernatural does exist and that faith and miracles are credible. Let me give you a final reason that faith and miracles are, uh, make sense. It may be scientifically impossible to prove the existence of God, but the reverse is also true. You cannot scientifically disprove God's existence. There is no test you can run to prove that God doesn't exist. I love how the theologian and philosopher Herman Boving says this. He writes, it is even impossible to prove that there is no God. To accomplish that feat, a person will have to be omniscient and omnipresent, that is to be God. For you to prove that God doesn't exist, you'd have to know everything and be everywhere, which kind of by definition makes you God. Science is able to test and observe the natural world. But when it comes to things that are supernatural, that's just outside of the scope of what it's able to address. To say that you don't believe in miracles or the supernatural because of science is a non sequitur. It does not follow that science, it, it's not possible for science to disprove God's existence. To actually know whether or not God exists, we have to look elsewhere. To know whether or not God truly does exist, we have to look and see where God has revealed himself. What, where has God shown up? Where has God written himself into our story to show us who he is? And we see that in the person of Jesus. God wrote himself into our story. God came to us to show us who he is. And then we have these stories about Jesus recorded in scripture. God has spoken to us. He's given us his word in scripture so that we can truly know who he is. Faith and miracles are not irrational. We're actually able to put our faith in Jesus. Faith is the only way. It's the best way and the only way to know God. Faith is not irrational. It's a reasonable way to know who God is. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're able to actually know him and find life in him. That's what, that's what, God, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be like the official and to respond in faith. The official, he heard the promise from Jesus and he believed. We should be the same way. We should hear what God has revealed about himself and believe and know God. I love the response that we see after the official believes. If you look with me at verse 51, we see the effect that comes from faith. Verse 51, it says, 
as he, the official, was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So the official was going home to check on his son, but his servants meet him halfway and they confirm what Jesus promised you had happened. And the official says, hey, what what time was my kid made well? And they tell him, it's right at the time Jesus promised you. In that exact moment, your, your son was healed. He's alive, he's well. And so the official initially believed just based on what Jesus had promised. But now that they've actually seen the miracle, now his entire household believes. This is beautiful. Jesus, he heals the boy. This whole household places their faith in Jesus. In his worst suffering, Jesus meets the official to show his compassion and to bring healing. Jesus meets his official where he is to intervene, to give him hope and love. I think many of us here today are wondering why Jesus hasn't done the same thing with us. We're wondering why Jesus hasn't shown up in our place of deepest hurt and pain to intervene, to bring a miracle, to give us a sign. And we, we wrestle, we struggle there. I know in our church family, we have people going through all kinds of suffering, watching your own body decay or watching a loved one slowly die, feeling sad, lonely, burnt out, wishing your mental health was better, wishing your family could just have peace. I think there are moments that we all feel like, we, we hear stories like this and we feel like, why hasn't God done that for me yet? Why hasn't God shown up in my story to intervene? Listen, if that's you, I want you to be like the official and go and cling to Jesus. I want you to hold on to him. If you're desperate and you're not even sure yet, can, can God intervene? Will he? I want you to be like the official. All the official knew was, I can go to Jesus and maybe he'll help. I want you to be the same way. Will you go and hold on tight to Jesus and not let go? Will you continue to have your faith in him, to trust him, that he'll intervene. Even though Jesus wasn't physically present with the boy, the boy was miles and miles away. Jesus was still able to heal him. Jesus did it then and he does it now. The, the human body of Jesus may not be physically present with us. Jesus has ascended, but Jesus is, he is still present and intervenes in our lives. We can trust him. He worked miracles then. He's going to work miracles now. He healed the boy and he can continue to bring healing and hope in our lives. And even when he doesn't, we can still trust him. I think this is one of the biggest things that John is trying to drive home here. It's in the desperate times, in the times that we feel almost hopeless. Those are the times that faith flourishes. I think sometimes the reason why God allows us, he permits us, to go through difficult seasons of life is because he knows, he knows that faith flourishes in harsh conditions. He knows that it's in the hardest seasons of life that we really learn to trust him. I do think it's generally true that faith thrives in the dark places. Just a, an analogy here. Alex and I have tried so many times to keep a plant alive. 
we have had so many plants since we've been married and we have killed every last one of them. We even killed a succulent. Did you know that was possible? I genuinely thought that couldn't happen. Like they're made for deserts, right? I didn't know that we could do that. Whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, that is what we have. But we recently got another plant, one more. And the, but the reason we got it was because the woman who sold it to us, she told us this. She said, this plant thrives in harsh conditions. It needs indirect sunlight, barely water it. It'll thrive, I promise you. And Alex and I said, deal. That's the one for us. I think faith is kind of the same way. Faith thrives in the harsh conditions of life. It's in the dark and dry times that our faith is actually able to flourish. What drew the official to faith? It's that he was desperate. He needed help. And so he went to Jesus. I want you to be the same way. In the dry and desperate and dark times of life, I want you to trust Jesus. I want your faith to thrive. I want you to rely on him with everything that you have. Many people have said, when Jesus is all you have, you realize he is all you need. I want you to go to Jesus and see that he provides everything you need. I think sometimes God allows us to go through the hard season so we can learn to trust him even more. And it's when we really trust in Jesus that we find the abundant life, the hope, the presence, the comfort that we're looking for. Maybe you hear me talking a lot about faith, having faith in God during the hard times of life. And you are genuinely wondering, is my faith strong enough? Do I have enough faith to actually rely on Jesus? I think it's a common thing that people wonder. Maybe my faith is too weak. Maybe that's why I'm not experiencing God's presence the way I want to. But listen, it is not about the strength of your faith. It is about the strength of the object of your faith. Our faith may be weak, but Jesus is always strong. The official only had enough faith to go to Jesus and say, hey, could you please help me? And that was enough. That was enough. The amount of faith that we need is just enough faith to cling to Jesus and to hold on. That's all in the faith we need is just to hold on to him. It's not about the strength of your faith, but the strength of the object of your faith. Jesus is always strong. So you can trust him. You can trust him that he is going to work in your life. Wherever you're at in life, I want you to cling to Jesus. I want you to hold on to him. I want your faith to flourish and to grow stronger. Jesus is the one who has come. He didn't just heal a boy who was sick. He came to take all of our, all of our burdens, all of our sickness. He came to take all of our sin onto himself. And then what he did is he died in our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven and made new. And then Jesus rose from the dead, a miracle, so you could bring life. So you could give us the, the promise of a resurrection one day. Jesus was at work then and he's at work now. He's still working in our lives to care for us, to provide for us. I want you to trust him. I want your faith in him to grow stronger and stronger. I want you to trust not ultimately in a miracle or a sign, but in a Messiah and your Savior. I want you to trust him with everything that you have.